This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. WFAN, WFAN-FM, New York. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I gotta go but away. But baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been, been hoping that you drop so in. Very nice. I'll hold your hands, they're just like My ice. mother will start to beautiful. Be what's your You never know exactly how this show is going to start, do you, on Sunday mornings? Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, my goodness. What a morning this has been. I... Let's see. Had a flat tire. I've traveled through. I don't know what to get here. And then, one of our guests this morning blew a tire on his way here. The other guest walked a route parallel to a route that I walked, coming from one of the mass transit locations, the Path Station on Christopher Street in the final part of my journey getting here. So I'd say that this morning we definitely wanted to get here. Good morning. Nice to have both of you uh, join us on our program. Our guests are going to share an awful lot with us, and the big surprise, folks, is, yep, we're back with a two-hour show today. Now, this also happens to be the start of year 24 And I never thought it would last more than a couple of weeks. Year 24 of this show. Good morning. I'm Bob Salter. I'm pleased to say that we have a couple of guests joining us in studio from a practice that some of you have heard about. You can be hearing more about in discussions. Um, The guests are going to join us at points on our program from IGEA Brain and Spine. We'll learn about um, the practice. Two doctors are in studio with us on our program today. Uh, to my left this Sunday morning is um, Adam Lipson. It's nice to have you join us, first of all, Adam. Good morning, Good morning Bob. He's the one who did the walking, and it, it, it was cold out there. Definitely. Without question. <laughs> and to my right this morning is Dr. Arun Arra. Now, I want to get this correct. Perfect. All right? I tried to do this phonetically, so I'm going to try and follow along with my phonetic pronunciation here. Rajaram. You got it great. Hey, Joe and Evan right, got it. Roger it once. Yes, I've accomplished it once. Absolutely. If Joe and Evan could get it, you could get it. <laughs> well, Bob. believe me, if they can get it, I can get it. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. True. That's it. <laughs> now, a little bit of background, I guess, first of all, because um, we're going to get into talking about a, a number of different things in discussion. We'll be talking about um, knee issues, injuries. We'll also touch a little bit upon um, the topic of concussions, maybe a little bit on the spine as well, because this is some of the area of specialty in which each of you um, work. Who wants to tackle talking about exactly what IGEA is all about? Well, and I start. So IGEA Brain Spine 
now is a multi-specialty effort. We have neurosurgeons, neurologists, and orthopedic surgeons. We're throughout New Jersey. We have five offices in New Jersey, and we're in Manhattan as well. And we're there to cover really brain, spine, orthopedic injuries from head to toe. Uh, we have a headache specialist who also handles uh, a neurologist who handles who specializes in headaches and movement disorders. And our goal is really to enable the best patient service, make it a one-stop shop for our patients. Uh, and in that capacity, we've been around for about a decade now and have been growing really in a very healthy way. We've been priding ourselves in having the best, most personal patient care uh, at a level that's premier to anything you'd see in the country, uh, competitive with anywhere in an academic center but with the access and personal care and attention that you see in a private practice. Now, by profession, you yourself are a neurosurgeon. So I'm a neurosurgeon. So I specialize in brain-spine surgery. Why? I'm, I'm always curious about this sort of thing. Why that area of specialty for you? What attracted you to it? Uh, it's the best. To be honest, I feel that... Look at he smiled when he said that. <laughs> okay. There's nothing else I'd want to do in the world. Uh, it's... I think that it's almost as if your specialty picks you. And for me, being able to be involved in something as intense and personal as a brain or spine injury, to be able to give care if necessary, give surgery, and help navigate someone through that process. And at the end of the day, if you've made a contribution, if you've made them better at the end of the day, there's no, there's no better feeling in the world. And that, that doesn't get old, even 20 years into this. And in terms of your specialty, um, when you talk about your background, the area of focus where you've been able to put your efforts, where is that? Sure. So I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and orthopedics covers head to toe Mm -hmm. as far as bone injuries, muscle injuries, tendon injuries. And as, as the years progress, people, we've all become more and more specialized in aspects of orthopedics. So my focus in orthopedics is sports medicine, orthopedic surgery. So, well, all of us, you know, you do your, your orthopedic surgery residency, and then after that, choose to focus on a certain field when you go into practice. And sports medicine was always uh, an aspect of uh, medicine that I was always involved with growing up, playing a lot of sports, but Jersey, Jersey guy through and through. So grew up playing a lot of sports and was around a lot of sports injuries and the like. And going back to kind of what Adam was saying, starting my orthopedic world started here in the city, actually. I had a bone tumor in my, in my shin when I was a kid. Really? A high school kid. Um, thank God it turned out to be benign. Everything worked out. But I, um, I had a bone tumor in my shin when I was a kid and actually was at the city. Uh, one of my uh, mentors to this day um, was my surgeon back then. And he took out my tumor and basically got me, got me back to playing soccer and doing everything I was doing growing up. And I had that moment that I was like, I want to be you when I grow up. Um, so it's a cliche, but uh, I was 14 years old at the time. And that impact to this day, he's still a mentor of mine that's helped steer my direction uh, in life. So as I went through the, the course of orthopedics, because that's what we do, people get injured, um, people get hurt either in their sporting activities, their leisure activities, their work activities. And then the question is, how do you get back to life? How right. do you get back to doing what you're doing? And that's the focus of our, of our field. And now honed in on sports medicine, you take that to the next level of prof- there's professional athletes, which when I was down in Houston working with the Texans and everyone down there, we took care of all of them. But 
now back home in New Jersey and this area taking care of all of our folks, you're basically, you see the same injuries in all of, all of us that you see in professional athletes. It's just a matter of, okay, what activity are you trying to get back to or what aspect of your life are you trying to return to? So that's been the inspiration. Chronologically, what time period was it that you were in Houston, Texas? Uh, 2014, 2015. So we moved back to Jersey about two years ago now, mm. just a little more than two years ago. And when you talk about the training mm-hmm. that you, each of you went through, what was that like? Adam, let's start with you. Sure. So neurosurgery, uh, I did four years in medical school after college, did a year of research, and then I did eight years of subspecialized training in neurosurgery. So 13 years after college before you can get out in the world and start working. Before I forget, I have to give a shout out to my Uber driver, no fall for picking me up today on the side of the road after I blew out my tire. He's listening in his car right now. So thanks for being uh, my savior this morning, getting into the studio. So as far as similar schooling, you know, after college, you go to four years of medical school um, and then orthopedic residency is five years. And then the sports medicine fellowship uh, is a year on, on top of that. So you're looking at about, you know, once you leave high school, you're looking at about at least 14 years uh, right there just to show up. Sports medicine. Mm-hmm. I, I say that term, and I'm listening to each of you, and I'm thinking, here we are, we're having this discussion on WFAN. Sports medicine is such a broad-based term, okay? It seems like it could encompass every, anything and everything. And I was also listening to each of you as you're talking and hearing you talk about, well, basically, this can encompass things that happen on the job. It can encompass things that happen with, dare I use this term, the weekend athletes, okay, mm-hmm. the professional athletes, the high school, college athletes, right? basically anybody can be affected by different injuries in this field. All right? So you kind of have to be prepared almost for, dare I say, anything? Without question. I mean, as a neurosurgeon, I mean, the most common thing I'm going to see are neck and back injuries, and that's very prevalent. 85% of Americans lose a day of work in their lifetime from having a back injury. So we're always asked to comment on that. And you'll go anywhere from there to incredibly rare brain diseases, you know, uh, arteriovenous malformations, some really unusual stuff that require very specialized care. But that's part of the training. It's part of why it's long. And, you know, that's okay. I think you, you expect that level from your physician I think we expect to be able to give that level of care to our patients, and that's just the nature of the field. Arun? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the knee and shoulder, the two most common things that people come to see me for, and that's pretty much everybody in society has had some moment when they tweak their knee or tweak their shoulder, and it doesn't matter what, what you're doing. And I'd say that's my patients all the time. I mean, that professional athlete, that NFL player who's trying to play on Sunday and he hurt his knee a couple of weeks ago, He's trying to get back to that, but so is that same person who owns a restaurant and is basically trying to be on their feet uh, on top of their game every day, um, trying to keep their restaurant in top shape and trying to get back to their activities. So um, we all have the same injuries, and how do you get back to doing what you need to do and what you enjoy doing in your life um, from head to toe? Now, the discussion today came together really in the middle of this week. I'm going to take the audience and a little bit of a peek inside um, the world of this program. And here's an interesting thing that happened. Literally, the day that this interview idea first came to me, I was going out, I was 
going to a pet store near where I live. And I see this person coming out of the store who's like looking at me and looking at the person I don't recognize. And I notice the person's coming toward me, has a cane, is walking along and goes, Bob, it's Mickey. And I'm like, Mickey, I didn't recognize you. Mickey comes over. Mickey is somebody who used to work at a veteran, veterinarian's office that we frequent. Mickey recently had an ACL, or excuse me, a meniscus mm-hmm. injury, okay, and is out of work, okay? And I thought to myself, we've had discussions where the term meniscus or ACL has come up on this program, and I've been amazed by the number of people who are impacted by this. Sure. All right. And that's the sort of thing that I want to explore in our discussion today with our guests. We're going to take a pause here. Marco's going to be bringing us a look around the sporting world in just a moment. we got a lot to get to. We'll also work in thoughts from some of the folks listening to us this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. In studio with us are a couple of guests who have joined us from IGEA Brain and Spine. Uh, they are going to share an awful lot of information with us in the course of our discussion. You want to join us in our chat this morning? You can uh, via the telephone, 877-337-6666. That's our phone number. Usually when we have discussions um, that involve anything that uh, touches upon the medical field, we wind up with a lot of people with interest and inquiries um, because the guests have interesting areas of specialty in uh, our discussion today. Part of what we want to explore is talking a little bit about um, some injuries with um, the knee. Uh, I guess we'll touch maybe even a little bit on uh, shoulder, also touch somewhat on concussions. And those have all been topics that have garnered a lot of interest from folks who are listening to our discussions uh, and listening to the fan. In studio with us, uh, Dr. Adam Lipson. He is a neurosurgeon and an orthopedic surgeon is also with us on our program. That is uh, Dr. Arun Rajaram. 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 Well, you're great. Okay. You're good for the you day. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I got it once, and then I <laughs> then I got nervous here. All right, we got two hours together. I started to get started getting cocky and thinking to myself, ah, you know what? I I, I nailed it. I can just flow along. Good I got to go back. A two, good thing it's a two-hour show. I got to go back to this this phonetic <laughs> thing here. All right, and pay attention there with that. All right, let's go back to you before we try to explore things with folks listening to us. The knee. I always like to start as simply as possible. Now, some people might think this is wacky of me to ask, but I'm curious about this. When you're working with the knee, what's that like? So the knee is based, what comes down to basics, what, what do you need to do with your knee? You need to bend it. You need to straighten it. You need to be able to transfer weight when you're walking and running. So it's the, the greatest hinge joint that we have in our body, like we like to call it. So things that bother people in the knee are cartilage issues, meniscus issues, ligament issues like the ACL. Um, The meniscus is probably the most common issue that you hear of and and people deal with because it's the best shock absorber we have in the knee. So your cartilage, which is ultimately the interface of your knee when you walk, it's as smooth as ice. That's the analogy. So when normal healthy cartilage 
rubs, and you, when you move, it's ice on ice. That's basically what we describe it as. That's how smooth it is. That's why you can move all your joints without any issues normally. Now, the meniscus sits on top of that cartilage like a shock absorber. So in your knee, you have two menisci. They're basically little C-shaped shock absorbers. So every time you step, every time you jump, every time you run, those guys are basically doing all the work to dissipate some of the force inside there to help you do what you need to do. And basically, that's what it is. You, you need the knee, and you need the, that ability to kind of dampen the, the load through that to be able to do what you need to do. Um, and that's why the meniscus are the best shock absorbers we have, and that's why you hear about that a lot as far as injuries. Now, in terms of size, what are we talking about with the size of the meniscus? Or millimeters. You know, when we, all of our surgery these days are, we're done with cameras, so it's arthroscopic. Um, so when you go in there on the camera and, you know, all of our, our surgeries done on these high definition screens, so the meniscus looks huge on TV, if you want to call it, but, but it's just millimeters uh, in thickness and millimeters in width. So these tiny little things do a tremendous, tremendous amount of work. And what people don't even realize is as far as just the weight of your own day-to-day activities, just walking, for example, we, we take this all for granted. It's about three to five times your own body weight going through your knee with every single step. So that's how much work this, these things do. Three to five times your own body weight with every single step you take is what goes through the knee joint. Um, and that's, that's incredible how these tiny little things can basically do that shock-absorbing ability for the knee. It's amazing. You know, I'm listening to you say that, and I've never known that before. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, it's a wonder that knees last a lifetime. Exactly. It's, it's amazing, right? And as obviously, as people live longer, as people remain active longer and longer in their lives, it's incredible that our knees do as much as they do. Um, and people always ask about, okay, you know, how can I protect my knees? How right. can I prevent these things from happening? And it starts with Starts with the same fitness that you talk about um, as far as exercise, healthy eating, um, and basically building muscle around the joint. So, for example, your quadricep muscles. Your quads are the biggest muscle group we have uh, almost pretty much in our entire body, and they do the job of helping the load go through the knee. So the stronger your quads are, the less pressure actually goes in through the knee joint. So one of the first things uh, people can do is just work on strengthening your quads with your basic exercises like your leg presses, like your basic squats and things like that because the stronger your quad muscle is, again, the less pressure goes through the knee. And then people always ask me, you know, will it help if I, I lose a few pounds? And the short answer is yes because take that same analogy, right? Every one pound of body weight is three to five pounds of pressure. So even if you just lost five pounds, that could be up to 25 less pounds of pressure per step you take. That makes a big difference. So people think, oh, if I just, you know, what is it really a big deal if I lose a pound or two, that kind of thing. But it can, it really, I've, I've seen people who come in with the knee pain and as they start to get uh, into shape again, start working out again, build muscle, and um, even just lose a few of those pounds, their knees don't even hurt them anymore because of that exact pressure difference we were, we were talking about. And sometimes just building the muscle around the knee is, is, uh, does the trick. And how does aging affect the knee and the functioning sure. of the knee? Sure, absolutely. So we all had uh, tire issues uh, today, so the tire <laughs> analogy is, uh, is good, but no pun intended because it's going to hit a sore spot for uh, you and I both. Yes. So think about your treads on the tire. Now, I ran into a, my car went into a pothole today, so the, I'm not, the analogy is not, not the best. But if you think about your treads on your tire 
every day you drive your car, those treads are going to wear just a, just a little bit, even mm-hmm. if it's you know a tiny, tiny bit that day. Doesn't mean the tire doesn't work. You're still obviously there's plenty of thickness in there, uh, and that those treads are still working, but gets a little thinner. So the same thing is true with our cartilage. So that cartilage, which is the cushion and that smooth interface inside our knee, gets a little bit thinner over time. So people will come in with x-rays off into my office or we'll get x-rays and we'll look at this for people and I'll show it to them. You can see the space between your femur, which is your thigh bone, and your tibia, your shin bone. Normally, when you get an x-ray, there's space. Those bones do not touch each other. There's actually space between. And you can see that on an x-ray. Over time, that space gets a little thinner. And that's part of the natural process over time with aging and, and use. It's just wear and tear, like driving your car tires. And I always tell people, just because it's thinner doesn't mean it's not working, doesn't mean you're going to have a problem down the road. It's just part of that normal wear and tear change um, over time where it gets a little thinner and then there's normal lubrication inside our joint. Some of that um, kind of becomes a little less viscous over time. Uh, things like There's a lot of car analogies when we talk about orthopedic things. Um, but that's uh, what happens over time. The cartilage gets a little thinner, and the joint isn't as viscous and smooth as it, it was, let's say, when, when we were teenagers. Okay. Now, Adam, in the work that you're doing, what's, what's you know, to the layperson, we're probably intimidated thinking, okay, how would you even begin to work in the area that you're working What's it like? I mean, uh, to to you mean to actually carry out brain surgery or spine yes, surgery? Yeah, I mean, for, for what's it like to look at the brain? It's look magical. Inside. It's magical. I I don't think you know it's it, it's definitely uh, a tremendous experience in many ways. It's very spiritual to be able to have someone sleep, be able to look inside their head literally look at the brain and you know there's there's a lot that we know and we don't know about brain function it's fascinating that essentially a few pounds controls much of our experiences in life and 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 how we perceive the world around us and there's so much beauty to what you see and still a lot of mystery to it and yet when you're in there and you're you're doing surgery you're you're very focused on that patient is a person trying to address the pathology. And a lot of the approaches that we pursue as brain surgeons really involve trying to do as little manipulation as necessary to the brain. You're not there to explore and check out someone's head. You're there to take care of whether it's a a bleed or a tumor or an aneurysm. You're there to address the, the pathology. And so it's very, very directed to what you do. And, you know, I'd say many times when I'm actually in surgery, it's very much – the analogy, honestly, is, is similar to, say, a sporting event or a sporting competition. I did play sports in college, and, you know, it, I, I'm still very active. And, and, and you get this mindset where nothing else matters. I, I don't have other conversations. I might listen to some music when I operate, but I'm 190% focused on the action at hand. And every step is very coordinated. There's a team with you, mm-hmm. uh, but it's very coordinated. Just taking care of the pathology is necessary to make that person better. And so there's, you're always curious. You're always 
interested in seeing the actual brain, but for the most part, you're there to take care. I mean, 120 percent of the time, you're there to take care of that person, and you're there to take care of that pathology and make sure that they're coming out doing well on the other side of the table. Which, fortunately, we we we've been getting better and better, and that's one of the joys to this is that with MRI technologies, with better computer techniques to bring the imaging in, uh, to a three-dimensional platform, you can actually use the MRI and computer guide navigation to make your procedures less invasive, more anatomically targeted. We do better and better with our outcomes. So it's a, it's a very different field from a generation ago. Bob, I want to echo what Adam was saying with the analogy between us surgeons and, and sports. And think back to one of the first things I noticed when I was down in Houston with the with the Texans, the the level of focus and the amount of things that the players balance and work on mm. all at the same time, day to day meetings and practices, and then of course, and the culmination of that in game day, the the focus is is laser. Despite eighty thousand people screaming in the stadium, despite the music, despite all the everything in the background. It's laser focus, and and that's how we all are. Like Adam said, uh, when we're in surgery, we yes, we're the surgeon, but it's a team of people in there. I mean, there there's from from our technicians to our nurses to our anesthesiology staff, it's a whole crew, um, and basically we're, everyone's working together. And it, like we said, there's there's usually music in the background. Surgeons, we all love music. That's a very common theme. Um, there's but it's there's that that laser focus of what we're doing in that team environment and. Um, you just uh, you, we can, we love that love that environment the same way that you know the athletes kind of thrive in that in that moment. Okay, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask the question since each of you has mentioned music, why music? Why is that so important? Okay. Well, well, I'll start. Uh, I think for me, I always choose a soundtrack that will kind of keep people. It allows me to get to a certain mindset. Uh, I, I don't want any music that I'm going to actively listen to. Uh, we do listen to a lot of classical music at home, but that's something where I actively engage. I like something that has low melody and rhythm and you know really allows me to just focus on the surgery. I'm, I'm not someone who has a lot of conversations extraneous to what I'm doing. I mean, mm-hmm. I really just focus on that person and the surgery. For, there are times I may be very, very silent for two or three hours for a really challenging surgery, and having music allows my staff to engage a little bit more. Frankly, it keeps things flowing in, in the operating room. So I'm a hip-hop person. So Jay-Z, Kendrick Lamar nice. alternated sometimes with some Metallica. But something that's Wait a, little, a minute. Hang on. Hang on. Something that's Wait a little a light. You're doing hip-hop and Metallica? Yes, You're that, listening? That's, that's how I roll. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love but it. something that's a little light that actually allows everyone to kind of be in the moment. Uh, sometimes, if it's too quiet, everyone's not on their toes. They're, they're, they're. I just find sometimes that when I've kept it completely silent in the operating room, people kind of fall asleep on you if you're not mm. talking. And I'm not there mm-hmm. to. I'm, I'm there for the patient. Everyone's there for the patient. But you need, but you need to create just a culture in the OR that allows that focus. And for me, a soundtrack actually helps. And for many people, right, that's the case. Right. Rune, what's your exactly. Well, a couple things. So, number one, absolutely, admit the the room. Remember how we said what we do is a is a team a right. team sport there, right? 
the room with the, it makes such a difference for everyone around you because we're doing the surgery. Yes. But everyone around you, it keeps everyone engaged. It keeps everyone actually in a better mood. I mean, I'll have times where people will come into my room just to listen to the music. So some of the anesthesiologists from the room next door, their surgery just finished up. They'll come over and just hang out with us for because the music's better in our room. So it's uh, it uh, no, it makes such a difference for the atmosphere for everyone uh, in there. And then uh, music. So I'm a Jersey guy through and through. So born and raised with Z100. So you know, I listen. I've always kept up with music. So my my kind of soundtrack is. A finely crafted today's hits playlist is what I like to call it. Um, uh, I frequently am thumb down, thumbs downing songs so I can keep it, keep things uh, not coming back. We don't really need it, but I like to keep up with music. So I would say a finely crafted today's hits uh, vibe is my room uh, for surgery. Whoever would have thought <laughs> that all this is going on in these operating rooms? Interesting, yeah. very yeah. interesting discussion. We're going to talk more with our guests from IGEA Brain and Spine as we continue on our program here on The Fan. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We're in an interesting discussion with our guests who have joined us from IGEA Brain and Spine. By the way, one thing we have not done thus far in our discussion, what's the uh, website as a point of resource for uh, folks who are listening to our discussion may want to follow up, um, have questions about some of the things that we're talking about. Absolutely. So it's www.igeaneuro.com. That's I G E A N is Nancy E U R O.com. www.igeaneuro.com. The brain. How big is it? Uh, about three pounds. <laughs> About the size of a volleyball. Hmm. Okay. Are people surprised when you say that to them? Mm, no. No. I think I think people have a good sense of their head proportions and the size there. And when we're talking about this use of cameras, how much of an assist is that for you, especially as the technology has gotten better and better? So as a, in doing brain surgery, primarily we're using a microscope, which magnifies and illuminates okay. the, the cavity. There are directions where we are putting endoscopes in the brain for less invasive approaches. Uh, there's definitely some growing momentum for the use, but it has not been as revolutionary for brain surgery as it has been, say, for orthopedic surgery. Yeah, for us, it's been a, a game changer. So, for example, the in in orthopedics, it's called arthroscopic, A-R-T-H. Mm -hmm. well, that means with the camera, arthroscopic. So the perfect example of that is how I can repair a meniscus now with a camera as opposed to prior to this technology, people would have to make a big incision. You'd have to open the entire knee to be able to get to the meniscus and then be able to try and repair it. As opposed to now, I can make essentially what we call poke holes, holes, small holes basically to put the camera into the knee joint. And the other thing that it helps you, you can actually see corners and little areas of the knee that you couldn't even see if you made an actual incision. Incision, Because some of our surgeries do require incisions, and you still actually can't even see some of the back corners like you can with the camera um, that enables you to access more and treat more things. So 
for example, those meniscal repairs, I can make a small hole, put the camera in, and another small hole to put the device that I paste the sutures through to repair it. Um, so, and then that that patient walks home the same, essentially the same day, and they go home essentially with two band aids on top of those pill holes, and they start their therapy the next morning, and and um, it's a game changer as far as recovery because no muscles were violated during that, and it makes the recovery much much easier. Um, so it's certainly been, in fact, that was almost the. The, not, I won't say the birth of sports medicine, but that was one thing that revolutionized sports medicine and took it to a whole nother level. For example, we all remember this year, um, JT Barrett, the Ohio State quarterback, he, which this is the fastest timeline I've ever heard. He played six days after an arthroscopic meniscal surgery he came back from. He had surgery on a Sunday, and he played the Big Ten Championships game the next Saturday. That's the fastest I've ever heard of anybody coming back to play. And that would be unheard of without uh, this type of technology, the arthroscopic camera that we have today. Okay, because coming into our discussion today, one of the thoughts that I had, because somebody had said this to me about his case in particular, and the question was, was that a wise move for him to play so fast? I mean, great question. I mean, it's it's it comes down to that discussion to make everyone understand the – decision they're making and for example when we when we come to these decisions for a return to play for an athlete it's it's not a it's not a one-on-one discussion it's basically a whole family team discussion i mean when when you're deciding these things you you're obviously talking to the player which is the, you're in the individual you're caring for their families are often involved their coaches their trainers because everyone's uh, helping helping these individuals and and you're trying to understand okay is it safe and uh, most importantly for me to be able to return to play, return to this game um, if I come back this quickly. Now, depends on what the injury is. So in, in JT's situation here with, with Ohio State, a, a small meniscus tear that is symptomatic enough that he couldn't play because of that tear, the treatment for that, we, we basically are able to treat that like if you have a hangnail in your finger, you essentially have that little hangnail that's catching at the edge mm-hmm. of your nail. It hurts every time it gets caught. Some of our instruments are like tiny little clippers. We can clip that hangnail for you, essentially. So we go in there with the camera. We can clip that hangnail. And then once that hangnail is gone, you're fine. You, you're, it's, not a, it's not a problem anymore. The only thing you have to then recover from is just waking your quad muscle back up because it's, it's essentially a, a biologic instinct that um, anytime a knee gets injured or has a surgery or has some sort of traum- traumatic event, your quad muscle kind of goes to sleep, so you got to wake it back up. So that's that's why all of my folks, if they have a, a procedure today, tomorrow morning, they're in physical therapy, waking up that quad muscle and, and back in the training room like we did with the pros. Uh, the, all of our players, Wednesday morning surgery, Thursday morning at the stadium in the training room with their trainers kind of getting the muscles back awake. So in Barrett's case, he was able to wake up that quad enough, and thankfully his, his um, injury was minor in the spectrum of things um, that he was able to at least, but, but you're right. It's, it's, it's risky. If you, if you do come back too early, then you come back before your muscles are ready to protect that joint. And before everything else is able to function at top notch, where you do risk re-injuring or injuring something else as a, as a compromise, you end up seeing a lot of athletes that they hurt their left knee. And then when they actually come back, they hurt, injure their right knee. Um, which is which is heartbreaking um, after how hard they worked when they come back, but that's that often um, can be the concern. So, yeah, so, I mean, was it 
it, we were all very, very impressed that he showed up six days later to play. I mean, they he still had band-aids on. I don't, right. They wouldn't have even taken their stitches out yet at six right. days out. So um, it was certainly impressive and, you know, a great kid. I wish him, the, I wish him all the best, and I'm glad he was able to play. Um, but it, it certainly made us all hold our breath to a certain extent. <laughs> when we talk about this idea of recovery, you know, most people – or impatient, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I noticed both of you just nodded when I said that, okay? Um, how do you deal with that? Because everybody wants things done yesterday, especially in this part of the country. It's a discussion I have 350 times a year for every single surgery I do every year <laughs> on every <Yeah>. patient. <laughs> Everyone wants the quick fix. Mm-hmm. We would love to offer that, uh, particularly in... I do a lot of minimally invasive spine surgeries. I'm doing a lot of cervical fusions, disc replacements, lumbar discectomies, lumbar fusions. And many times those patients are in pain and they want to get this taken care of right away. And, and oftentimes you have to look at this as a – the surgery itself is a trauma. It's short-term pain for long-term benefit. And you're constantly counseling to people, your patients – before, during, after surgery, saying, listen, this is the recovery you should expect. And there's a, there's a spectrum. Some people get back to work and are on their feet within a week. Some people take six, eight weeks or even three months to get back on their feet. And it's wonderful when they get back on their feet right away. Sometimes the, you have to respect your body and its physiology and sometimes and its ability to heal. And you need to give your self time to heal. We don't live in a world where, you know, I mean, people want to go back to work right away. They want to get back to their lives. We don't give ourselves a lot of space to heal our bodies. And the reality is the healing after surgery takes much longer, I think, than people recognize. It's great when you see uh, a college or professional athlete try to get back a week afterwards. They haven't healed. They're making do with a situation and trying to make the best of it, but their body has not 100% healed. It's probably about 20% healed at that point. And I think that's constantly the conversation and the counseling that you have for someone after after a surgery. Arun, your thoughts? Right. Yeah, I would say in, in our world, the the player that put the fastest timeline that we know of from returning to an ACL was Adrian, Adrian Peterson. Mm-hmm. He came back in nine months. Um, so then we have all of our high school kids, college kids, and right. weekend warriors. Everyone wants to come back in nine months. So that was or, or less yeah, or right, less right, right. exactly. So so that kind of really turned our timeline on its head. And and listen, there were there's a lot of advances that we've made where yes, you can come back faster today than you could ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Fine, but but nine months is that's Superman. And I had that that's that's my conversation with every athlete and Wigan warrior that I meet who has an ACL injury. Um, I'm like, listen, I'm like. Adrian Peterson, we know it because everyone brings it up. And I'm like, listen, I know Adrian Peterson came back in nine months. I was like, but that's not, that's amazing. I mean, that's not your typical or even close to typical timeline. Um, so it's it's managing expectations. It's it's understanding what that individual needs to get to. It It's managing them based on what time of year it is, based on what their athlete, I mean, what their season is that they're trying to get back for. Um, like a you know, a football injury in December is much different than a football injury in August, you know? So it's a matter of, okay, what's our timeline to get back to doing what we need to do? Um, and uh, it's, it's basically, the most important thing is 
talking to, you know, so much of what we do, yes, technology is advanced and, and we do so many things now that you couldn't in the past. But at the end of the day, we, we just, we talk to our patients, talk to our people. And so much of what we do is understanding what you as an individual need to get back to doing and tailoring your treatment for you. You know, you, everybody's different. Injuries may be the, may be the same diagnosis on paper, but every injury is a little different. Every person's a little different. So it's a matter of tailoring the recovery to, to you as a person. Now, the thing that also intrigues me as a layperson listening to the two of you talking about these fields in which you work, and by the way, let me mention too, for the benefit of folks listening to us, you can join us in our discussion, 877-337-6666, if you have a comment or question along the lines of some of the things that we're talking about on our program with our guests. How much of your efforts of your time is involved in, I guess, trying to keep up with the latest developments, techniques. I'm sure you interact with colleagues literally around the country. Without question. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a whole community of surgeons that you train with. There's a network nationally, internationally. You, you know, I think part of keeping up with your field is contributing to it. And so I give a lot of talks on mentally invasive spine surgery, on deep brain stimulation, spinal cord stimulation, and we'll go to meetings, write papers. Uh, you know, I'd say it's, you know, I'm probably spending two to four hours per week on keeping up or interacting with the national and international community in my field. That's just part of what you do. I, I mean, there's so much going on, so many new developments, new technologies that shape your practice, help you refine your practice. And I think, you know, it's one of the things that we care a lot about in as a private practice is being able to offer what any academic center offers to our patients. I think that's the level of care you need to offer, particularly in this community where mm -hmm. there is a lot of competition, a lot of major medical centers nearby. You owe that to your patients to right. give them the best care. Right. Yeah, it's keep like we keep up with technology in every aspect of our life in this day and age, right? When when the new phone came out with the face recognition, I want I want to have that phone to unlock it with by looking at it. So you know we keep up with technology in every aspect of our life. Of course, we're going to do it in our career. So just like Adam said, you know, meetings, um, mentors. We we all have as as we talked about. It's a, a minimum fourteen year road to get to doing what we do, and you can't help but be touched and impacted by so many people along the way. So we have a tremendous amount of mentors over the years that we have talked to and communicate with, and then vice versa, people coming behind us that we mentor. Um, it it kind of keeps you always connected with that that world. And and nowadays with technology, it also makes it easier to access information. You know, we have a lot of journals that are all on our, on our either online or on through the apps, and there's a lot of updates we get. So it's just a matter of like we keep up with technology in, in our other aspects of our life, we keep up with all the changes in technology in our in our profession so we can get the best care possible. The people who are coming up in this field in sports medicine, how intense is that? How much of how much appeal is there? In other words, how big is it as a field? Well of certainly study? I'll talk about neurosurgery, the that's tremendous interest in, you know, I mean, I get called every other week by uh, university students, by medical students who want to see what it's like to do neurosurgery and see what it's like to do spine surgery. 
Okay, they, hold that thought. Yeah, We're going to sure. come back and talk more with our guests. We've got a lot to get to. We'll also try to work in thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. If you're on hold, stay there. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. The dynamic duo have joined us. Hmm. And I don't mean Bruce Wayne and his youthful ward, Dick Grayson. I always wondered about that situation. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. Yes, we're on till 8 this morning. Yippee! David Deal and Mark Malusis are on after 9 o'clock this morning with the Football Sunday program. We've got a football doubleheader. It's a wild card weekend here on The Fan, and we're in a great discussion. We're going to work in some thoughts from some of you as well. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. Guests joining us in studio on our program. We always like when that happens from IGEA Brain and Spine. The website for IGEA Brain and Spine is? www.igeaneuro.com. That's the voice of Adam Lipson. Adam is a neurosurgeon and orthopedic surgeon Arun Rajaram is, Rajaram is uh, in studio with us on our program as well. Nice to have uh, both of you with us on our program. And I'll tell you what we'll do is to try to start with folks on the phone. Uh, 877-337-6666 is our number. We've covered a number of different things. There's a lot of different areas that the practice is involved in. And I want to try to open the phones up because usually when we have guests on who have the kind of backgrounds that you're sharing with us and specialties, we have a lot of people with questions. So I'd say get prepared. Uh, let's start first with uh, Rob, who's been holding forever in Lake Success. Happy New oh, Year. Good Happy morning. Year Good morning. Bob, this is, this is, I love your show because it's so interesting. And I know we're sports station and because I'm a, I'm a physician myself. Uh, I, this is like just lights me up. I, you got two different professions in there, like completely different, and but so important to the medical world and, and so many people out there that are listening. Uh, gentlemen, doctors, I'm a podiatrist. I did um, a residency in orthopedics. So when you were talking, doctor, I'm talking about the orthopedist right now about the minimal incision or the uh, meniscus type uh, 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 arthroscopy type surgery. And we do that as well on the ankle. We were the first profession actually do I guess what we guys would call now minimal incision surgery back in the 70s. Uh, and what I've struggled with my patients, like what you were saying, doctor, recovery in sports medicine, anytime like you use a hangnail, and we do a lot of those in our profession, um, it's such a small little quick, you know, removal of a, just like an extra little piece of, of a nail that's sticking out, which can be so painful. Soft tissue procedures, minimal incision type things like this, where you're looking in, on a television screen, because I've been on many of those, um, you can get, get quick results. The ACL is like you were talking about, or anytime there's, uh, repairing, you know, uh, ligaments that way and, 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 you know, suturing. That's where the, the patients get frustrated because that's become already a long-term surgery. The me- mechanism as well is, is the type of injury, uh, is the problem. Remember the old days, we used to have the orthogram before we had the, uh, uh, you to go in and look through the scope. But I want to just touch on the, uh, on the, on the surgeon, um, the neurosurgeon, which I think is absolutely so fascinating, um, how you guys, can go in there in the brain and do the work through microscopes. Now, I just recently 
um, had a cochlear implant, and that was actually done in 45 minutes, doctor. I know it's a little different because we're not really going to the brain, but they went into the mastoid bone, and they actually could suture through the, uh, the actual electrodes into the cochlea, which is the size of a pea. And I think, just to show you how amazing, amazing, I was out that day, hearing activated in two weeks in my, in my deaf side, and it's amazing what I want to touch on, especially in your surgery, doctor, how spinal surgery, brain surgery, I mean, how the technology, we are improving so fast. And uh, I want to thank you for, uh, for touching something on this. But the last one quick point, I know I'm taking up a lot of stuff here, um, is in the sports medicine part, everybody's different. Every case is different. And it always, depending on the age of the patient, the mechanism of injury and, and what, you get, what you're doing, always takes weeks usually. I remember Joan Benoit came back and, and ran the marathon or, or Olympic trials in three weeks mm-hmm. in the 80s. Right. So, you know, after running, after having a meniscus surgery. But most, most patients, with the, you, know, you know, repair of the, uh, you know, the soft tissue takes the body, has to, you know, recover. And usually it takes a few weeks. Minimum. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you tell your patients, it's usually a six-week minimum, even on, even on a meniscus before people can really go back. But physical therapy immediately, like you said, always tell the patients, if, if it's that type of an injury where, where they can get up and move around, I mean, if surgery, they're up the next day walking. Bob, I know it's not my show, but thank you very much. And I love you. I love your Saturday morning show and such different doctors and such great, great stuff. And I, I think I thank you for, for bringing this to the attention. And gentlemen, I, I hope you can add it. Let me answer to some of my, my, my responses here. Good morning, guys. Thank you. Thank you for your patience on the phone, too, Rob. Want to respond to either one of you? Sure. I'll, I'll start with the uh, your comments were terrific, by the way. And I think the example you had asked Bob about cameras in the operating room and how much that's innovated within neurosurgery. And I think an area that I see that's really changed the landscape has been these neuroelectric interfaces, so what we call neuromodulation. So uh, this caller had a, what's called a cochlear implant, which is implanted into the mastoid bone, uh, which is behind the ear, and helps restore hearing to an ear that's no longer working. And that's given him function back. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most powerful joyful things we can do as surgeons is restore function that's been lost. Likewise, I'm putting electrodes in the brain for Parkinson's disease, for essential tremor, putting electrodes on the back of the spinal cord for patients who have chronic pain. Uh, There are, and all of these involve small computers that essentially provide neuroelectric interfaces where we can modify function. And that's something that's very new. When I started training uh, back in 2000, most of what we did in the brain was to take out tumors, clip aneurysms, take out vascular malformations, remove portions of the brain safely. This allows us to modify portions of the brain without selectively destroying anything. And I think he's a, he's a good example of that. Hey, Rob, thanks for your call, and um, thanks for what you do for your, all your patients with foot and ankle injuries. And one of my mentors from residency was a foot and ankle surgeon, surgeon, so certainly have a lot of admiration and respect for what you guys do. So thanks for doing what you do in your call. And you're absolutely correct as far as the expectations and timelines. Like we, like we said, people want, want to get back to their activity yesterday. So it's a matter of, like we said, each person and each injury is different, tailored to what, what they need to get back to. And, and, and you're right, the healing time, that's just biology. So we can't... Re- do many things to accelerate biology. And the common number that I have with discussions is three months. So if if I repair something and it has to heal, 
that's three months no matter where you slice it, either the knee, the shoulder, the hip, it doesn't matter, or the ankle. Your body needs three months to heal that soft tissue um, that we repaired. So it's a matter of exactly understanding what's going on and um, having everyone on the same page so that people have unreasonable expectations. So thanks again for your call. Back to the phones we go. We're going to Carl in Belmore. Carl, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing very well, as a matter of fact. By the uh, way, is there still that great bagel place in uh, Belmore? Uh, bagel sauce. Yes. Yes. Still there. Yes. Excellent. The owner's my friend. Oh, really? Yeah, Marty. I put a shout-out to Marty. All right. <laughs> I got to go and see Marty soon. Good. Okay, guys. I'm a 65-year-old man. I had uh, a double laminectomy on the L3, L4, L4, L5 level, and I developed Parkinson's 11 years ago. Uh, how do I find a doctor that does both? Do I go to separate doctors? How do I coordinate? Because the Parkinson's has aggravated the old injury in the back. So that's a great question. There's obviously a lot of workup that would need to be done. I I actually manage both Parkinson's disease and spine conditions, so our practice would be well suited for you. We also have. I know I'm familiar with your, you know, the brain stimulation. Right, but we also do a lot of spine surgery, and so that's something I could take care of you directly. So if you go to my website, www.iganeuro.com, we can see. Igea what? Neuro, N-E-U-R-O, and it's oh, I-G-E-A-N-E-U-R-O.com. Uh, mentioned that it's a referral through WFAN. Uh, Adam Lipson, I can see you right away. Oh, that's great. Okay. Thank you. Carl, thank you very much for your patience on the phone. Certainly good luck, too, as you move forward. Uh, next, let's see, go to Frank in New Jersey. Frank, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Yes, good morning. Uh, I wanted to ask several questions. Uh I'm 80 years old. I'm a good 80 years old, though, a strong 80 years old. And I've been uh, having a lot of problems. I'm a former athlete, too. And I've been having a lot of problems with my back for the last 25 years. And uh, I worked uh, until I was about 78 years old. Believe it or not, I just retired. But my my back problems have been the biggest uh, uh, detriment in my life. And I always got epidurals in order to uh, avoid operations. Uh, is there any... Anything that can be done for neuropathy that I have in my right leg based on the problems I'm having with my back? And uh, are surgeons sort of uh, uh, skeptical to uh, any operation with regards to uh, individuals at a certain age? Is that come into a big play, or, or is it uh, something uh, that's evaluated based on the strength of the individual and their age? So I can handle this with regards to aging and spine. And what we see is as you get older, uh, you develop arthritis. That can contribute to nerve compression and lumbar stenosis. There are many ways to navigate it from medical to interventional, such as epidural steroid injections to even surgery. Oldest person I've done spine surgery on was 97. Uh, so wow. certainly age is not... A you know, age is always a consideration, but I think it's got to be individualized for the person. And uh-huh. I think this is kind of a general commentary on our patients. Is as people are getting older, they are staying healthier, they are staying more active. And what it means to be 80 years old now compared to a generation ago is very different. And I do see patients who are working out all the time that expect to be running half marathons at 80. Uh-huh. 
and that's not everyone, but I think that the reality is is you got to individualize the care to the patient. And it's not uncommon to see someone who seeks a more active life, even in their late 70s and 80s, and, and that's really our responsibility is to try to... Well, it's very discouraging uh, to me because, uh, as, you know, as, as I mentioned, I, I was an athlete, right. a professional athlete, and uh, I, I cannot do the things that I used to do, not even close to that because of the neuropathy I have in my right leg, and it uh, really, really is... Uh, disturbing to say the least <laughs> so that's something i would say again come on in we can see you we can talk through your condition and your options and th there are there are many things that we can offer uh where, where are you located we have five offices in new jersey and an office in manhattan five offices so is, is there any individual uh telephone telephone call to uh, find out if uh, i'm close to you or or is it strictly going online uh Online is great. Otherwise, I think our New Jersey phone number is 908-688-8800. We also have an 866 number that's on our website. Could you repeat that, 688, and what's the other four 908-688-8800. Okay. And then online, we have a scheduling system, and I think we have an 866 number. Right. I heard that when I was listening to the program. All righty. Uh, it sounds pretty good. And uh, actually, nobody takes me for my age. My age. And... Uh, that's a good they thing. They think I'm in my 60s rather than my 80s. There I'm going to be go. 80 this month. I'll be 80 years old this month. An early happy so, uh, birthday to you. Frank, thank you very much. we got to run here. Thank you for your call. All right. Thank morning. you. All right. Bye. We'll do more folks on the phone. We roll until 8 o'clock this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We have guests in studio from IGEA Brain and Spine. And before we paused for our updates and uh, messages, uh, you were giving out some contact information. Right. Adam? So, so the previous caller had asked about our phone numbers. Again, our website www.igeaneuro. That's i g e a neuro n e u r o dot com. Our eight hundred number is eight six six four six seven one seven seven zero. Okay, we'll repeat that before we are done in our discussion. Adam Lipson, who is a neurosurgeon, Dr. Adam Lipson, and Dr. Arun uh, Rajaram is uh, in studio with us. He is an orthopedic surgeon. And what we're doing is trying to work in as many thoughts as possible from folks who are listening to us on our program this morning. Yes, we're rolling until 8 this morning after our 8 o'clock update. Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. And after 9 o'clock, it's David and Mark in here with that Football Sunday program. Back to the phones, 877-337-6666, our phone number. Over to Oceanport, New Jersey, we go to Ron Ron, good morning. Welcome to the fan. How did you get, uh, how much snow did you wind up getting there? Uh, it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough, but that didn't stop me from my orthopedic problems of the past. I was out there doing my, uh, my four-mile walk. Uh, in 1968, a World War II field surgeon who used to be the Rutgers team physician did open knee surgery. Um, I had an MCL, a tor completely torn ligament, um, a, si a cyst from repetitive injury and um, a cartilage that was removed. Uh, today I have arthritis in the knee, but I walk on a daily basis. Uh, the purpose of the call is to, to find out, could, have this, could this have been done arthroscopically today, the repair? Ron, thanks for the call. So you had an MCL injury, right? Mediocollateral ligament? Yes. So um, it's, a, it's a common injury, and ironically enough, most MCLs, 
don't need surgery. You obviously have the type that did need the surgery. And it there's, you know, I'm, I'm gonna get, I don't want to get too technical. There's a there's a deep MCL and, and one that's closer to the skin. The one that's closer to the skin is the more important one. And that you still actually to this day have to make an incision to get to because technically it's outside of the actual joint. Um, so there's newer, you know, technologies and things like that. Like, for example, I had one gentleman who came to see me who had an MCL tear a year prior to seeing me and it never healed and he never felt stable. So for him, I did a, a transplant. So like you hear of organ transplants, there's also ligament transplants. So we took an MCL, um, another tendon transplant, and basically gave him a new MCL. So that is, uh, it's not that common, but the, those are the newer technologies that we have for MCL surgery today where you can do that transplant in a, in a rare delayed case. But um, to answer your question, you, you still got to actually look at the MCL to repair because technically it's outside of the, uh, outside of the joint. Now, I have arthritis now, but I can't, and I'm bone on bone, so I can't have any fluid injections. Uh, is it, would you lean towards I might need a, a knee replacement partial or fully, uh, say, five, ten years from now? Have you ever had those gel injections to lubricate your knee? Uh, one ortho said it wouldn't help because I'm bone on bone. I mean, when you're bone on bone, there's a less chance that it may give you long-term relief, but... I've met plenty of folks who are bone-on-bone that have gotten good relief from the gel. So I would certainly try that avenue first um, before you make the conclusion that you need a knee replacement. Thank you. And lastly, you're right about the quad being asleep. After a week in a heavy wrap and the doc took it off, when I started walking, my my leg felt like jello going back and forth. Absolutely. absolutely. 1968. And be careful out there in the snow. We we won't give you a spoiler alert, but NJ12 on uh, Wednesday will be talking about uh, snow and shoveling injuries. So be careful out there. Uh, Thank you, sir. Take care. (laughs) No problem. Take care. Thank you very much for your call. Your patience on the phone. Back to the phone we go. Uh, Brad in Middletown, New York, has been holding for a long time. Brad, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure talking to you, man. How you doing? Excellent. Yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Listen, um, in 2006, I had I had to start meniscus tear, and I was a big fan of the active diet due to the fact is that they teach you to intake more protein and less carbs. Well, I use that basically as a form of a format for the diet, and I do exercise my legs quite often. So far, you know, knock on wood, everything's worked out. But look, let me ask you a question. Now, we developed the knee replacement and and things like that, ligament repair and ligament replacement. Now, this might sound crazy to you all, and please, I'm not stupid. I'm not nuts. Has doctors, especially orthopedic surgeons, ever thought about creating an artificial, like, you know, you got the uh, the meniscus, the uh the uh, cartilage, the cushion, has, has medical science ever de- 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 decided to maybe create a different type of cushion where a, a knee replacement might not be necessary? Brad, great question. Great question. We- we've tried it, and there's still ongoing trials. Um, the synthetic, uh, well, first of all, to back up, you can, there's meniscus transplants that we do for the right patient that doesn't, essentially has lost their entire meniscus from injury. So that technology is available today. But to the synthetic side of it, 
there's been different grafts that have been tried and different skin type um, grafts from um, donors and things like that. There has been attempts, but the problem is, like we talked about earlier, I don't know if you're listening to that part, about the weight that goes through your knee. Remember, every step you take, it's three to five times your entire body weight going through that joint. So none of these synthetic materials have been able to withstand the load because the moment you put them in, that's it. They're not coming to life. They don't have a blood supply. They don't have the ability to get stronger and stronger like our own tissue does. So none of the synthetic um, options or grafts have been able to withstand the load yet. But we're still looking. We're definitely still looking. So don't hold out hope. Okay, but you know something? You just said that I agree with you. Normally what I was told when I have to have my knee surgery is that for every pound of the human body, that's almost three to five times the amount of stress on that same joint due to the fact that it's constantly moving. But you know something now? I want to ask you another question, sir. Now, I got to say, you sound like to be a very intelligent man, and, I, and it's an honor talking to you. Thank you, Brad. Thank instead you. Of, instead of using synthetics, like, let's look at certain, all right, now, this, like I say, this is Star trek I said, forgive me. What about, what about other animals? We, like, yep, we've, so got, we've done that. In fact, that's, that's used today. So there's... There's skin material from animals that are that are very similar to humans, and the material is incredibly strong, and they've tried that, and it actually works in, in other joints. There's a, a treatment in the shoulder for a very, very large rotator cuff repairs where we actually augment or make stronger that repair with this graft, and it's actually from the animal skin. So, yeah, there are definitely there are those things that are out there that we've tried, but it's still, unfortunately, in the knee, such a tough environment for it to succeed. They're called xenografts from the pig, yep. usually. Yep. It's most analogous. To I people. understand that. Because you're like, you know something like, let's look at let's look at a couple animals. Like I'm saying, since you said you're working on that, and that's very good. Now, the thing I'm looking at, like, how about an animal that weighs above three, 400 pounds? Let's say, like, some, some horses or giraffe or something like that, which got the, that same skeletal structure. Now, wouldn't it be possible that that might work also? Maybe, maybe our veterinary colleagues do ACL surgeries on horses and dogs and things like that. So we certainly can talk to them to see what, what future steps we could try. Brad, we got to okay. go here. Thank you very much for your patience on your phone, on the phone and for your call this morning. My pleasure. Take care, guys. Thank you. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. We go to Jessica, who's calling us from North Carolina. Where in North Carolina are you calling from, Jessica? We're on our way home from Connecticut. We live in Greensboro, North Carolina. Well, good morning. Welcome to the family. Morning. Thanks. Um, I'm a PA, a new PA, working my first year in um, spine surgery. So the talk's been really interesting this morning as our on our drive back, our long trip home. Um, I just had a quick question. I was curious on your opinion regarding PRP injections, if they're used in your practice, and what you see the role for those in athletes or just everyday patients. Jessica, are you talking about the spine or the or the orthopedic joint uh, or both? Um, both, but joints more. We've recently had a lot of the reps coming through our office, um, giving demonstrations and trying to convince our practice to start using them. Um, but I know it's not everyone agrees that they work. Or I'm just curious what your opinions are. Sure. Where and where in Connecticut are you guys right now? On the Merit or 95? We're on 95. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. I was at I was at Yale for residency, so I remember that drive very, very well, going up and down those two roads. 
Yeah, so, we're headed home. Absolutely. Good. Well, good luck. So PRP, Thanks. PRP, I, you know, it's, you commented on it. Some people believe in it. Some people don't. And, you know, there's science to support both sides of the argument. Uh, I'm a believer, and part of it is because yeah. of my experience and training um, in uh, residency and fellowship, and especially part of my fellowship working down with the pros in Houston and the NFL. Um, it's, uh, I've seen phenomenal results from it, and I tell people it's mm-hmm. not a magic bullet, but you're using your own platelets, which have the, as you know, the cytokines and the proteins and the ability to generate a healing environment that now actually supplies an area again. A lot of these healing issues are because of poor blood supply. So the moment you mm-hmm. can get platelets in there to essentially wake up that area, very common thing that I treat with PRP is tennis elbow. Patients come in all the time with tennis elbow that have had a bunch of cortisone injections, but it never got rid of their symptoms. And that's because that area has such a poor blood supply. And the moment you can get some platelets in there and reactivate that area and essentially open it up to the body again, um, it makes a big difference. So I've, uh, like I said, I've, from the experience uh, I've had and seeing the results with pro athletes and now in my practice, um, I do I do believe in the right indications and the right um, patients. It can be extremely, extremely helpful. Awesome. Any other common areas besides tennis elbow that you're using it in? Other than the tennis elbow, most common probably are going to be uh, the knee for small cartilage injuries and okay. even small meniscus tears. And then the other mm-hmm. one that uh, a lot of people come see me for are hip um, labrum tears because now with the MR- okay. M- MRI technology, you we can see everything. So a lot of the, yeah. our, our job is, as you know, kind of deciphering, okay, what does the MRI say, but what is the, what is the patient actually dealing with? So um, a lot of the thing is a lot of those symptoms are from inflammation that's stuck in there. So chronic inflammation that's causing the pain and the PRP is a extremely potent anti-inflammatory. So I've seen a lot of good success in um, intraarticular hip injections for labrum tears as well. Um, that's not finally can knock out that chronic inflammation. So I would say your elbow, hip, knee are probably the three most common, yeah. common joints. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Just, no to, drive. just to comment on the spine with uh, this question of PRP and stem cells, this is a whole new field of what we call biologics, which is the idea of repairing non-surgically in an area of injury. And people have been looking at this for years in disc repair for people with disc injuries. Um, the major areas have been stem cells harvested from fat tissue uh, from the patient's own body or from bone marrow. Uh, there are some, the interventional pain doctors that do this, uh, it's offered, there's no data, at least in the spine, showing that it makes a difference. There is some case reports that it does, and, and there are some patients that definitely pursue it, but none of it's covered by insurance right now until someone shows some data that shows it works. Hmm. Jessica, thank you very much for your call and travel safely. Um, interesting uh, calls, interesting conversations. 877-337-6666 is our phone number here at The Fan. Areas of research, and I guess I'm asking in terms of geographically, where are the leading areas of research in your areas of specialty? Let's start first with you, Adam. You know, I think neurosurgery has become so subspecialized and broad that there are there are multiple sub subspecialty interests within neurosurgery. So there's everything from brain tumors uh, to what we call vascular uh, abnormalities, stroke, aneurysm, vascular malformations, to spine surgery to functional neurosurgery, deep brain stimulation, spinal cord stimulation. And all of those uh, 
fields have individual areas of excellence. What's interesting is it's, it's frequently, you see programs really around the country that have really a dedicated focus. It can be, it, not, it may not be in your traditional academic powerhouses. It can be mm -hmm. Some of the best surgeons I've seen have been based in Alabama and Arkansas. Uh, you know, but I think that there's, there is a lot of research going on the hardest thing is translating that research into the patient. So that's, I think, still one of the biggest challenges, and particularly for things like brain tumors, where someone, these can be awful. They can be, you know, something where, you know, such as what John McCain has, right. what Kennedy had, where that may shorten their life expectancy to just a year or two. And people are grasping to whatever options they have. And, and there's a demand for trials, and there's a role for that, but there's a role for just providing excellent clinical care. And, you know, our goal is to try, obviously, give the most innovative care, but we have to... Sometimes the research doesn't catch up as quickly as what the patient needs are, and that could be challenging and frustrating for all. Okay, I want to follow on this, and I'll also yeah. let you respond to the question. We'll take a pause in our discussion. Marco's going to be coming around momentarily with Look Around the Sporting World. It's Sunday morning on the fan. By the way, we're in the home stretch of our program. We uh, roll till 8 this morning after our 8 o'clock update. Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. We're in a very interesting discussion with our guests who are doctors from IGEA Brain and Spine. We'll give you contact information for IGEA Brain and Spine before we are done in our discussion. And I want to follow on a question that I had put out uh, to both of you, but also try to work in some more of our listeners' thoughts and questions. So let's do that first with uh, Kevin, who's been holding forever in Brooklyn. Kevin, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Uh, I'm getting pains on my right leg. It starts just above my butt, and it goes down my right leg. And uh, it's a terrible pain. Have you got any uh, anything to say to me about it? Kevin, this is Dr. Lipson from Neurosurgery. So is your pain worse sitting, standing, walking, lying down? What makes it better? What makes it worse? Walking. Walking makes it worse? Yes. All right. How I mean, that's when, that's when I get it. Okay. How old are you? 77. All right. I, I'll tell you the probability of this is probably spinal stenosis, which, as I mentioned earlier in this uh, show, it's usually from arthritis. The joints grow larger and compress on the nerve. It's very classic. There are many ways to treat it. Usually the standard ways are to give someone uh, ibuprofen or an anti-inflammatory. If, it, if it's not helping, you know, a lot of times people find that when they stand up straight, uh, their pain gets worse. So they often will find leaning on a countertop uh, helps. Leaning on a shopping cart using a cane can help. Uh, but if the pain's not getting better with uh, some medication, normally I'd have you see your primary doctor, do some physical therapy, consider getting an MRI of the back. Uh, yeah. And if, if there's definitely some stenosis, then we talk about an epidural steroid injection, and sometimes you need surgery, but about 70% of the time you can treat this without surgery. Okay. Uh, why was that that you suggested? Uh, ibuprofen, MRI, see your primary doctor, physical yeah. therapy, 
And if you're yeah. still not getting better, then see a spine surgeon. Uh, is this anything to do with sciatic? Sciatic, the sciatic nerve comes off the spine, off the nerve roots off the spine, and it gives pain in the buttock going to the back of the hamstring. And sciatica is usually the condition that comes as a result to from the spinal stenosis or disc herniation. Probably you have spinal stenosis given your age and given the symptoms that you're telling me about. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your patience on the phone as well, uh, Kevin. 877-337-6666, our number here at The Fan. The reason I was asking that question about uh, research and where leading research was taking place, I didn't phrase the question in the way that I really wanted to. The way that I wanted to phrase the question is, where is the leading research in your field taking place? And the question I'm posing is, is that in this country? Or are there other parts of the world where perhaps we're learning from? Or are we setting the standard that perhaps others are seeking? That's a great question, Bob. I'll talk about neurosurgery, and I'll have Arun talk about in orthopedic surgery. There's a global community. There's good research being done all over the world. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of communication, particularly in the Internet age, you know, we see studies from all over the world coming across, uh, and there's a lot of communication between surgeons on these areas. Uh, you know, there there are difficult problems, uh, brain tumors, strokes, aneurysms, things that shorten lives, and whatever we can do to improve on the state of care, we try for. There's certainly you could go to almost any academic medical center in the U.S. and find excellent, innovative research you will find excellent innovative research being done in Europe and Asia as well. The FDA is probably more restrictive than Europe is in terms of the clinical studies. So there are many times that we see early stage clinical study, clinical research being done in Europe that when it sets a standard that's high, gets translated over to the US. So we tend to have a higher standard in our country what therapies we'll let in through the door, um, but the ones that we let in are more effective. So, I mean, I, I, I encourage every patient to have a conversation with their doctor as to what's being done locally and nationally and globally. Uh, and a physician should be able to have a good conversation about that. There have been patients that in the early days of, say, artificial disc replacement, when it was difficult to get approved, there were patients who were going over to Germany to get that done. Mm -hmm. The reality is that's insured, that's well covered now, and we can do that equal or better than any of our European counterparts with a much, you know, with better follow-up and, you know, much better level of care. But I, I'm not there to discourage patients from seeking er any and every option, but I would I do think they should expect their physician to be educated about those options and give them, you know, I'm an advocate for whatever is going to give my patient the best outcome. If that's something I can give them or if that's something that I need to send them elsewhere, it's, it's really whatever's in that individual patient's best interest. We're there to help guide them there. Yeah, very similar framework for a lot of the orthopedic research and surgeries and implants and um, technologies that we have. And going back, 
to the in initial research question, for example, the um, one of the biggest sports medicine journals that, that I read and we all kind of follow is the American Journal of Sports Medicine. Now, when you when you open that journal and, and look through all the articles and where they're coming from, it's all over the world. I mean, yes, obviously it's it's our journal, it's our home our home journal, mm-hmm. American Journal of Sports Medicine. So most of the articles are from here, from home, but um, there's contributions, phenomenal contributions from all over the world, from pretty much every continent, and. I exactly echo what Adam said was a lot of our implants and devices and technologies um, have similar uh, things have been done in Europe first because our, we have stricter rules. Our, the FDA just has stricter rules before it'll approve things um, to be used uh, for us in our country. So, for example, one of the other callers had talked about the, the xenografts or the grafts right. from animal skin and, and such. That one treatment for rotator cuffs that we do, um, superior capsular reconstruction is what it's called, that is a technology that was done in, in Europe and approved in Europe before us. So a lot of the promising results were coming out of Europe first, and a lot of us were saying, hey, you know, we should be doing this as well here. So that's where a lot of the trials started happening here, and a lot of the um, transitional things started happening here at home, stateside, and um, and we started to see good results. So you know, and and again, it's not uh, the it's not a bad thing per se. The FDA is looking out for the well-being of of all of us, of, for our country. Right? So it's it's good that the checks and balances are in place, but um, it does put more steps uh, that need to be perfected prior to being able to be used here at home. So that's why you will see the patients go to Europe, go to South America, go to other uh, go to Asia, go to other continents for certain treatments. Potentially, that's not FDA approved yet in our country. Um, but that's the beauty of, of the connectivity of the world today where there is so much communication between people that if something's working well here in this country, you know, you're talking to colleagues in another country saying, hey, have you done this? Have you tried that? And there's a lot of crosstalk um, around the globe to help take care of people, which is really great. This idea of patients being as informed, as educated as possible approaching you, okay, Obviously, in the age in which we live, I hold up the smartphone, okay, as I ask the question. You can have the world basically at your fingertips, all kinds of knowledge. However, realistically, the layperson cannot interpret this in the way that those who have been schooled in this, as you two gentlemen have, can do. Um, Do you find it helpful? Do you think that people are coming in to see you better informed than they used to be? I, I think so to a certain extent, and, and I, I think it's a good thing because I want, I want someone to be able to walk out the door after we've met and spoken and discussed things, and I want them to be able to understand exactly what's going on with their body, what their injury was, what their problem is, how to get better. And I think when people are coming in with, some information at least to preempt some of those discussions, it helps them because they've heard some of these words before. And like you said, Bob, it's, it's a matter of filtering things out. And the same thing happens with MRI. If I bring up this example of MRI things now because MRIs have gotten so good, you can see all kinds of stuff. So you get these reports that show all kinds of different things and the patient comes in with the report sometimes. A lot of patients who come see us, they're coming to see us for a second opinion and they already have an MRI and they're bringing you this report and they're saying, hey, what does this mean? So even though they already have the full report in hand, you're the one we're trying to help them understand and actually help them realize what matters and what actually is going on. So 
I, in the information age that we live in, I, I think it's a good thing. And then to just basically, I use it as, okay, you know, what do you know so far about what's going on? What do you understand? And then how do we, because at the end of the day, I want them to know exactly what's going on and I want them to feel comfortable with their decision. It's a, it's truly a shared decision-making model that we, that we live in. And I, I want you to feel comfortable as a patient, as an individual, as an individual to know exactly what's going on with your body so you can make the best decision for your treatment. And I think coming in with some knowledge is, is helpful, but I have people that come in that haven't looked anything up or don't know mm -hmm. anything. And we start from scratch, which I, I like that too. So I, at the end of the result, I just want you to know everything going on by the end of it all that you feel comfortable. So however we get there is how we get there. Yeah. I'll, I'll build on what Arun said in that, you know, I think more knowledge is a good thing. More access to knowledge is a good thing. And a patient who's better informed and has a better understanding of the disease process they're dealing with, with the surgery they're about to go through, that's a better patient. There is, it's very interesting, you know, when you deal with brain-spine problems, people come in with a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear, and you're always navigating that, and you're always being a counselor to that. And some patients just say, tell me what's the right thing to do, doc. You're the expert. Other patients come in saying, I've gotten seven opinions. I want you to do this surgery. <laughs> and, and, you know, th th those are both extremes, but I think they're the reality of what you deal with. And, you know, some doctors, I think, early on did not love, did not really care for Google in that they came in, they had a lot of patients with biases. But <laughs> honestly, I view this, it's, it's your body, it's your life, it's right. your decisions. Right. I, I, my, my job as an expert is to give you my experience, my interpretation of literature and data out there, and what I see in my hands gets the best outcomes. You know, the reality is at the end of the day, as I've told patients, I said, you can't take away 20 years of experience, thousands of surgeries. You, you might have had your experience of your one brain tumor mm -hmm. is a tremendous high level of intensity of an experience for you as an individual. And you're going to have some opinions and biases based on that experience. But if I've done a thousand of them, that's a much larger community. And I can only tell you what my beliefs, preferences, experiences are in guiding you through that condition. So we're there to work together. As, as Rune says, it's really a shared decision-making mm -hmm. process. It's not a, I'm the doctor, I tell you what okay. to do, but it's your body, it's your life. We're there to give you our best advice. We deal with diseases where I wish I could tell you it's curable, you know, where we can make this go away, but there are times we can't, and mm -hmm. we have to come up with the best judgments and decisions along the way. It really is. It's a very it, human process. Absolutely. And it's really, it goes back to, it's a team sport. And I tell my patients this all the time. My surgery is one day, but your, your work or recovery could be one year. You know, our work is that one day, but they certainly have to feel involved and want to be involved with every aspect to get the best result possible. So it's truly, that that's what having everyone on board makes a big difference. Very interesting discussion, as I had a feeling it would be. And now, we have not covered a topic that has been huge on this radio station on Sunday mornings, on the show that follows ours, the Sports Edge Rick Bolsch Show. The next time, and there will be a next time that you gentlemen will be with us, I want to tackle this subject because just saying this may set off an avalanche on the phones. That topic is concussions, okay? And I know you have some opinions you want to share with us on that, uh, Adam, and can provide some information I also want to get into talking a little bit more about the shoulder 
and some of the shoulder injuries um, and some areas where we did not go here, uh, perhaps in that next time that we have you gentlemen with us. I thank you both for joining us. Would you please give us contact information, the website, and also you mentioned an 866 number uh, two for IGEA Brain and Spine. Great. So our website is www.igeaneuro.com. That's I-G-E-A-N-E-U-R-O.com. Our telephone number is 866-467-1770. We have five offices in New Jersey and one office in Manhattan. Thank you. Thanks so much, Bob. Thanks for having us on today. It was a fun day. You know, it didn't start off that way. When I had that flat tire, it didn't start off that way when you blew a tire. Yeah. It didn't start off that way when I was walking here from that path station up the street in that cold, and you were walking here. But this was fun, and this was a good thing. Rick Wolf, more of a good thing after our 8 o'clock update, and then things go to a super level with the Football Sunday program. Marco's update is coming up here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.